Welcome to NeuroNoodles Neurofeedback and Neuropsychology Podcast featuring tech legend Jay Gunkelman. He is the man who has read well over a half a million brain scans. Our goal is to provide information and promote options for better mental health. The NeuroNoodle Podcast is supported by listeners and businesses just like you. Like our gold supporter, the 7th Annual Super Brain Summit at Bradley University, and our silver supporter, Mind Media. Join us at the 7th Annual Super Brain Summit at Bradley University Center for Collaborative Brain Research. It's featuring speaker Dr. Mary Frances O'Connor. She's the author of The Grieving Brain, The Surprising Science of How We Learn from Our Love and Loss. If you want to get more information regarding registration, contact Gwen Hoarter. She's at G-H-O-W-A-R-T-E-R at bradley.edu or call her at 309-677-3900. If you want if you want more information regarding programming, you can contact Dr. Lori Russell Chapin herself at 309-677-3186 or email lar at bradley.edu. Mindmedia.com. Get the latest EEG and neurofeedback technology from mindmedia.com. Their semi-dry sensor cap is a wonder to see and their EEG amplifiers have been trusted in the field for decades. Their neurofeedback and QEEG courses will get you up to speed in no time. Visit mindmedia.com now. <laughs> what what what's on your mind this week, Jay? Oh, you know, um, I've I've been seeing all sorts of chats about uh, AI and uh, the you know <laughs> the, uh, that is on my mind, and then. Um, the, the Neuralink, the uh, Elon Musk's uh, yeah. attempt to monitoring and stimulation into brains, the foundation of brain-computer interface, back to my old friend, Burbaum. Yeah. Uh, brain-computer interface goes way back. Uh, Burbaumer was publishing uh, on that back in the 90s um, and, and lots of publications, academic uh, publications and uh, large N25, uh, you know, the people that had uh, a brain computer interface from the outside, uh, not not something implanted, but something outside, basically from from e- surface EEG. And how, how uh, would that work? Like, what would the? Why did they do that? Well, they they were. Um, uh, Getting people that had motor uh, restrictions like ALS and uh, paralysis, so you couldn't, uh, you know. So you're trying to connect the dots. You're trying to help connect the dots. Yeah, and 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 basically, the person can type on the computer by just straight from brain activity, um, and uh, that that allows them to end up controlling um, environmental things like uh, water supply to a tube so they can drink, uh, the temperature in the room, um, whether there's a fan on or not, um, channel the TV is on. I mean, the uh, all, all the kind of things you'd normally be able to control with kind of like a mouse, um, you know, clicking or pointing, uh, you can end up doing with brain-computer interface on a on a computer and uh, that that's from 
surface EEG, and this goes back a long ways, like I say, and uh, 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 25 ALS uh, style cases that uh, all could end up typing and uh, texting, essentially. His work wasn't, um, uh, it, you know, it was a, a small university, Tubingen University. It's an old uh, university. It's where uh, circadian rhythms were first discovered. Uh, um, uh, but it's it's an academic, uh, you know, uh, classical university. And he ran the, uh, uh, the EEG uh, biofeedback uh, department. Um and use slow cortical potential feedback, uh, looking at that uh, infralow, infraslow, uh, one hertz and below uh, activity, basically. And he had people trained to run a pong type game. There's instead of a pong hitting something back, they were flying rocket ships across the screen and flying up through a window and you could speed up the speed of the rocket ship, which would randomly pick a trajectory and uh, and and the size of the window to make it more and more complex. But you know, you now see, you know, them with a, a monkey playing pong, uh, but that's now with a, a an implanted uh, uh, BCI. But this this isn't that impressive um, uh, uh, a step up, uh, and. Yeah, Musk's group was intending to be implanting in ALS patients by now. But the FDA denied them permission because they were too sloppy. Remember Musk's statement about, you know, going real fast and blowing things up? That's <laughs> uh, a, a great way to develop rockets, but it kind of sucks as a way to develop a brain interface. Um, uh, they, they, they were fast and sloppy, and UC Davis canceled their contract with them. Uh, they, they, they had a primate laboratory at UC Davis, and uh, they, they canceled the contract with them because they, they, they were fast and sloppy. Uh, the uh, the the Mac monkey has uh, has a, a a disease, and it, 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 it's transmissible. And once you implant the brain computer interface in, if you take it out, it's contaminated, and you don't want to end up with you know, a, a problem being exposed to it. So there's standards for how that can be handled, what kind of packaging and what kind of labeling and all of that. And uh, they were cutting corners and basically, you know, <laughs> tossing it in a net out, a FedEx envelope and, and send it off, basically. You know, no, no multiple containments and proper labeling and all of that well so, let's just say they they get a cleaning service and they work on their hygiene then what what else is the problem with those guys well it's going to they're they're gonna have to uh end up uh with um a, a laboratory that they work with uh that 
ends up agreeing to working with them. Uh, but they're intending to implant into a human. Uh, and uh, again, they were denied already. Now, they they say they're reapplying and they're hoping to do one sometime by this fall. But I don't know that, you know, that the, their problems are going to be remediated fully by then. It, it's hard to say. But, you know, um, implants into brains... Uh, have been done already. Uh, Syncron uh, uh, does uh, implants. And instead of, you know, Musk has this, this fabulous machine, it's kind of like a sewing machine and a microscope added together. The, the, they, they merge in the back lab at night, and this thing came out in the morning uh, that, that you could surgically implant threads of thousands of electrodes on these threads, you know, along the cortex. And so that that's how Musk wants to get his electrodes in there. But that requires a neurosurgeon coming and drilling a freaking hole in your head and, and then going in and then sliding these wires, you know, along the surface. And that's all fine and dandy, but it's not the only way to get something in there. Uh, uh, Synchron does it with stints. That they go through the carotid, and they take a um, you know a vascular stint, something that opens up and keeps a blood vessel open, and that becomes an electrode. So they, they they've uh, uh, they've got their own approach using uh, different technologies, and uh, they've uh, done very nicely. Uh, I believe they've got four cases so far uh, done in humans. So uh, um, there are people that are talking about uh, 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 dust, uh, little little tiny nano nano body amplifier that uh, uh, you can just float in and uh, you know inject them in and let them float into wherever they float into, and once they're there, you identify where they are, uh, turn them on. You power them up using ultrasound. You, you have a little ultrasound field, and they, they're powered up, and you locate them in three-dimensional space, and you know where you're recording from. So there's there's a lot of different ways that people are talking about getting in to do not just monitoring, but also manipulation of brain activity. And... Uh, the Neuralink is the most oriented towards the manipulation because they, their their intent is to stimulate, not just record. And most of the rest of these are uh, brain-computer interface recording. Now, uh, for BCI, um, there's a whole concern over ethics. And... Um, uh, uh, side attacks, uh, you, uh, you, how, how you can actually hack into people's uh, cognitive process uh, enough to start to guess passwords and things. So, um, you know, if, when somebody's got a brain-computer interface in, uh, there, there's a whole neural ethics that still needs to be developed. It, it, like know, Facebook? 
<laughs> well, uh, AI needs to have AI ethics um, uh, development as well. Uh, but you know that uh, the technology usually is you know done and out there uh, before we we start to regulate it. We're we're still trying to regulate phones like they had cords on them or something, you know. So, uh, you know, um, the, the regulators end up being kind of behind the curve. They're trying to tidy up afterwards, you know. So, um, but well, uh, brain computer interface is going to end up having a lot of ethics issues, um, uh, especially when you're talking about uh, stimulating the brain to manipulate the brain. Uh, the the hows and whys and whos on on that end up being uh, critical mission critical. The the implants for people with Parkinson's that's a positive, right? Oh yeah, uh, um, you. I had a friend uh, who I, I I knew him in town, a little town of three thousand something people. You know everybody in town. You see them. You don't necessarily know them in depth, but you kind of know who they are. They know who you are. And, you know, he was a, he was a runner. We'd see him run all the time through town. And over the years, he started to slow down. And then I saw him walking. And then I saw his shuffle with his hands uh, up and trembling. And I say, oh, my goodness, this is really advanced Parkinsonism. And he's a still fairly young man. And uh, I, I talked to him and uh, uh, you know, he, he knew I was in neuroscience and he asked me about the deep brain implants and they were still fairly new at that time. And I, you know, knowing a fair amount about it already, I, I suggested to him that he go ahead and consider that because at some point, uh, his ability to even shuffle and walk is going to degrade and he'll start to fall. And at, at at that point, you don't want to fall and break your head open and, you know, go, go in, get the implant um, and, and free yourself of, of the uh, of frozen postures and tremors and uh, the, the hunched over uh, shuffly uh, uh, gait and all of that. And, you know, six months later, I see him jogging in town again. You know, I pull over and say, hey, you know. Yeah, I have the implant, you know, everything's back. I, you know, I'm, you know, back to jogging and you know, he's, he was, he was a happy camper. How, how long does that last? You know, um, at the, some Depends. of the very early ones that were put in were, were not done with the more advanced technologies that they have now. Uh, uh, the, the, uh, um, yeah, first of all, Parkinsonism isn't something you have when you're two. It's something you have when you're 72. So, uh, and, and it happens, uh, you, you can start to detect that in the 50s, but most of the diagnosis is in their 60s and, and early 70s. So, um, if the implant lasts your lifetime, it's not necessarily having to last that damn long. You know, uh, you know, you're you're already uh, quite a ways uh, towards the towards the en end of the race. So, um, at, at this point, modern implants last as long as the patient's going to last. Uh, uh, and 
the the thing that they implant is dramatically changed over time. It, the initial implants were uh, basically pretty crude, and um, uh, the what they were stimulating was quite often just DC, uh, and uh, to to potentiate or depotentiate a function in an area. Uh, Dirk de Ritter uh, invented burst mode stimulation, where you actually are are you know, turning on and off and and stimulating uh, with with a pattern of of uh, uh, a pattern of spikes, basically, and he moved the frequency of that up into the 600 to 1,000 cyclosecond range so you can mimic spike trains in neurons. And he also uh, has uh, um, uh, uh, also added in uh, a noise stimulation. Uh, and you think noise, how can that be helpful? But uh, adding a little bit of noise into a system helps with resolution and uh, the 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 noise that they put in are pink noise and brown noise um, white noise is really high frequency really noisy if you take the high frequency and roll off the high frequency that's a pink noise and if you really roll it off fast that's a brown noise so it more you know soft softer deeper uh, uh, sorts of noise, and th those those mimic um, uh, the noise within the system. So he's he's trying to match the stimulation to the kinds of signals that you see in the systems. Um, they're also adding AI onto the chips and they're able to measure or record the EEG when it's implanted. So things have moved a lot since the initial early implants and all for the better. And uh, at, at this point uh, in the Sassoon City meeting, um, Dirk DeRitter, uh, MD, PhD neurosurgeon who does these implants and has invented all of these high fancy uh, stimulation technologies and so forth. We'll be uh, discussing uh, uh, the, the implants and um, and the ethics of it and all of that. You know, um, the ability to actually replay uh, spike trains that you record is essentially able to kind of implant a memory so which starts to sound like like total recall you know uh memory implants and and whatnot so uh but um uh, by the time you're talking about brain stimulation and um control of the brain from the brain computer interface outside in um that, that starts to look a little it more like Starlink, you know. <laughs> so, right. Uh, so the, um, it, uh, uh, but you know, the, the, as I say, the the ethics of all of this has to be developed, uh, kind of as we are developing the technologies, we're developing the the the, the ethics and how to uh, do this and and 
whether it should be done at all. Join us at the 7th Annual Super Brain Summit at Bradley University Center for Collaborative Brain Research. It's featuring speaker Dr. Mary Frances O'Connor. She's the author of The Grieving Brain, The Surprising Science of How We Learn from Our Love and Loss. If you want to get more information regarding registration, contact Gwen Hoarter. She's at G-H-O-W-A-R-T-E-R at bradley.edu or call her at 309-677-3900. If you want more information regarding programming, you can contact Dr. Lori Russell-Chapin herself at 309-677-3186 or email lar at bradley.edu. You brought up SUSE on uh, and, and AI, Dr. Rogine uh, West, uh, she seems to have a background in AI, trying to get her uh, chiseled into the show, Jay. Uh, what, what, what is her background on AI? She seemed to be ahead of the curve on this. Yeah, she's, uh, she's been into uh, research and kind of came out of research into some clinical work for a while, uh, but has gone back in as a head of a a lab in the northwest um in the pacific northwest area and and she's a serious researcher and and well published um and uh the you know ai is 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 another interesting topic i mean generative ai is a little different than uh simple machine learning uh kind of stuff that has been around for quite a while and the generative AI is the chat uh, AI kind of stuff that can actually write things and uh, 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 create photos that are photorealistic and but, but totally synthetic. Um, right. uh, and you know that's how you end up seeing the Pope in a in a white puffer jacket. You know. Um, <laughs> uh, you know <laughs> so that's not a picture of the Pope. Uh-uh. They, he would not do that, you know. Um, you know, I think I think people have to realize Chat GPT. It's a it's a hyped up chatbot. Chatbots have been around a long time. Yeah, you know. When I uh, have to say, uh, yeah, I, I, um, it, uh, it, it was asked by Erno Delorum, who uh, wrote most of the uh, code for EG Lab. How would I import EEG into EEG Lab and and process it? And it went through perfectly, step by step. This is how you would import it, and this is how you would segment it into epochs, and this is how you would, you know, filter throughout some epochs that were really bad epochs, and then AI, uh, uh, ICA, the rest of the epochs, and you know the the. Uh, so, uh, really, a very nice uh, job of spitting back the instructions that you might find online. And there's plenty of YouTubes and whatnot of of that topic online. So it did a nice job. But you know, I also saw one where somebody asked it about thalamocortical dysrhythmia. What is thalamocortical dysrhythmia? Now. I happen to know a little bit about that, uh, and uh, having lectured about it and and uh, all of that. So you know, it, I would if I was a professor in a class and somebody handed it in as as a 
as a short, uh, descriptive, one-page, two-page write-up on something, I would have given it a C- and been scratching my head whether it might have been a better a D. You know, it was, this was not really quality work. And um, uh, it, it apparently uh, fabricates references and uh, things such as that. It, it wasn't really dead on by any means. Now, I don't know where it found, I mean, there are papers out there, uh, you know, about the topic and they, if they would have had proper sources, they might have done a better job or something, but um, uh, on its own, I don't know where it searched Google or something for uh, the background information. It just, it, I, you know, it, it wasn't it's, it's, even up to the quality of a wiki, yeah. you know. Well, Jay, I think it's sort of like neurofeedback. It's it's training. Like, you know, you hit the regenerate response. It's just training to get the right or better outcome, right? So it's just people like you that know what you're doing. Somebody's going to have to go in there and say, ask the question and then, you know, give the answer. The other thing is I believe Stanford spent $600 and they made their own AI uh chat gpt so i think you know businesses out there can can do it themselves so I'm, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm sure that there's going to be uh like a like machine learning every university has their own machine learning um algorithm that they use and every one of them has a little uh, tweak based on the, the the department's uh specialty but um there's going to be lots of options uh, out there. It's just that's the way it is in science. But well, it, um, that it was also asked, um, you know, can can you you know can you read clinical EEGs and tell us if they're normal or abnormal, and and read the EEG clinically, and if if not, what would it take to be able to do that? And basically, it said no, can't. Um, and to be able to do that, you'd have to gather lots and lots and lots of EEGs to scan, and the lots and lots of EEGs would have to be with everything, not just epilepsy or just. I mean, you'd have to have depression and everything. The whole population, from normal to clinical, would have to be scanned, and so. So all the neuro, um, neurofeedback people got to put in their EEGs, take the identifiers out of who the people are and deposit it in one place. Cause that's the constraint is the databases are locked down, right? Yeah. The databases are, have been oriented towards trying to find healthy, normal people as a reference population, which is, which is good for one purpose in clinical work. Um, but uh, for the AI to be able to use to do diagnostics, it would have to have the full population exposure so that it could identify the patterns of various clusters, um, and that that's what it's reasonably good at doing. Um, uh, uh, Stanford had their own AI, and uh, Emmett Aitken. Uh, uh, spun out of Stanford with grants to do this project. And they basically, uh, uh, Stanford had 37,000 EEGs already digitized and ready to go. 
but the problem is that these these were all clinical EEGs done in hospitals for epilepsy and encephalopathy, the things you can diagnose with the EEG. And they tell you, oh, don't do EEGs on ADD. It, it's not it's not helpful. Well, it is, but you know they, they don't know how to use it. It's not diagnostic in neurology. Uh, this is you know n you know neuropsychology, not neurology. And so they, they basically don't have all of the richness of the psychiatric world's EEGs, um, which they would basically dismiss as, you know, not abnormal. There's no epilepsy. There's no encephalopathy. Um, you, you know, you're depressed or you're anxious or you're ADD or autistic, um, you know, that not, not particularly the kind of things that they record. So, um, they they didn't have the ability to actually do AI scrubbing of data and come up with the ability to diagnose. The, the same pipe dream happened in Israel. Uh, a company in Israel uh, had their own AI. They turned it loose on a whole bunch of EEG data and were kind of underwhelmed by the lack of you know yeah. utility in the output. Um, it took me 500,000 or more uh, EEGs to start to see patterns within the EEG and identify the endophenotypic patterns that weren't yet identified with genetics, and now they've been even linked to the genetic patterns. So it's possible to have some flawed version of intelligence, you know, as the skin version, um, uh, scrub large quantities of data and pull out things. Um, it, I, I'm sure that they will at some time, but getting a, it from here to there, the AI basically said, number one, get me everything so I can digest it. Number two, get me an AI programmer who knows how to operate AI real well uh, to help train me on that data and get me a good EEG person who can classify normal, abnormal, various patterns. And uh, um, that that's what it would be. It would be required for it to start to emulate a clinical interpretation. So they're a long ways away. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm too old to worry about them replacing me. That's for sure. Um, they're, <laughs> uh, they're, they're, they're decades off um, in the ability yet to, uh, to supplant uh, a, you know, a, a good set of eyes with somebody who's experienced. Right, 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 right. Although it's hard to find a good set of eyes with somebody who's experienced. That's, <laughs> that's the difficulty. <laughs> Well, AI has been around a long time. Chatbots have been around a long time. Now it, you know, it it's hit the general population. Now it's like, oh my goodness, this is this is wonderful. And back when I was playing with it in the business world, my goal was to eliminate low value recurring activities and replace them with higher value activities. Push that stuff down so you're, you the humans are working on more important things, not on less important things. You know. Yeah, so we'll see. That 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 will end up uh, probably happening. That there'll be assist assistive uh, 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 tooling basically in yeah. in offices. 
Um, uh, but it, it, it's uh, already in medicine, uh, machine learning has uh, looked at images and they've gotten really good at identifying subtle findings in images that the, the average doctor may not be able to have spotted that the really super expert may have, you know, but it's nice to have the computer find something and point at it and kind of assist in, in image uh, review. And at some point, uh, the image of EEG itself will be something that it will be able to look at. Um, well, I, th I think the goal is to, you know, get it to 80% and to have the humans figure out the other 20% and make sure that 20% is the important stuff, you know, well, if it's possible, uh, I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's going to be a long time before that's even feasible for, uh, for, for EEG. Uh, for EKG, uh, they, they basically have computer uh, analysis for EKG now. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you know, atrial uh, fibrillation, PVCs, PATs, Wolf Parkinson, White. It you know it'll classify all all sorts of rhythm disturbances, bigeminy. You know what? All the various patterns are are uh, stuff that that will be identified. That's that's a piece of cake. Um, but the EEG is a whole different level of complexity. So, Jake Uncleman, thank you for this AI influenced. NeuroNoodle podcast. <laughs> I'll stick with the old skin version myself. So. Of course you will. The NeuroNoodle podcast is supported by listeners and businesses just like you. Like our gold supporter, the 7th Annual Super Brain Summit at Bradley University, and our silver supporter, Mind Media. Join us at the 7th Annual Super Brain Summit at Bradley University Center for Collaborative Brain Research. It's featuring speaker Dr. Mary Frances O'Connor. She's the author of The Grieving Brain, The Surprising Science of How We Learn from Our Love and Loss. If you want to get more information regarding registration, contact Gwen Hoarter. She's at G-H-O-W-A-R-T-E-R -E at bradley.edu or call her at 309-677-3900. If you want more information regarding programming, you can contact Dr. Lori Russell Chapin herself at 309-677-3186 or email lar at bradley.edu. Mindmedia.com. Get the latest EEG and neurofeedback technology from mindmedia.com. Their semi-dry sensor cap is a wonder to see and their EEG amplifiers have been trusted in the field for decades. Their neurofeedback and QEEG courses will get you up to speed in no time. Visit mindmedia.com now.